I found myself as working in the pharmaceutical industry, been pushed either to cooperate, and this cooperation will lead to working with the drug addicts dealers to support the terrorism which is run by the Muslim Brotherhood. It, it, it's basically the ethics. I cannot deal with these people. I cannot support terrorism. So uh, we start to face many threatens at the time. God never caused harm to people. Right. We, we, we know that. Uh, but these experiences, this brokenness that we have been through was important for our family to realize that life is, is not about what you're doing. Life is what the Lord wants you to do. And there is a huge difference between what we want to do and what His plan for us. You actually have to believe in something that makes you look like an idiot. We all have strengths and we all have struggles. Of course I love you. And Jay just looked at me and said, not the real me. Held in a dungeon for 165 days, not knowing when we were going to be set free. God remains present in all of it. Legitimately suffering. Focus on living. Don't focus on not being sick. There really is um, blessedness in brokenness. This is A Broken Hallelujah. Well, hey there, everyone. We are back. Yes, this is episode 12, and the uh, regulars amongst you will realize that uh, there's been about a month or so break between episode 11 and 12. Uh, normally, I bring out episodes every other week, but uh, just in this past month, I've just been incredibly busy at work, a lot of stuff going on in my life, trying to sort through some things. Um, so took a bit of a break, kind of a, a forced break from the podcast, um, from all the interviewing and editing that goes into making these things happen. Um, and uh, but we're we're through that, um, and I've got a number of amazing episodes coming up, uh, and uh, amazing people that I've been interviewing. So uh, I think you'll you'll be excited about what's ahead. But yes, that was the reason for uh, the unannounced break of the podcast. But we are back, and I'm glad you are back uh, with us. If this is your first time, welcome to a broken hallelujah. Uh, we are a podcast community that's focused on trying to uh, bring an expression to understanding suffering and trauma and trial and hardship in life um, from a faith perspective um, and not just kind of thinking that we get to slap a cheesy Christian bumper sticker on our suffering, um, but actually kind of deep, you know, dig deep into the real issues of uh, suffering in our faith um, and how we come to understand God who allows suffering uh, and yet meets his people in the midst of it. Uh, and today's uh, interview is with um, a personal friend of mine, somebody I've known for a number of years. His name's Muhammad Salah. Uh, Muhammad's from Egypt, and his story is one of a really intense uh, kind of um, persecution uh, in Egypt, the need to flee that land um, and become an asylum seeker. Um, and, uh, you know, the issue of refugees and asylum seekers is such an important issue around the world right now. Um, and, you know, you're probably listening to this and you're aware of um, the growing number of refugees around the world. Um, but perhaps you're not aware of um, what 
this these men and women and family uh, families what they go through you know what the ups and downs are like what the stresses are upon them what it's like to to move to a country you don't know and try to start a new life and how that goes having to flee the place that has been your home and having to find a new home in a foreign land um, uh, their stories and uh, the um, the kind of narrative of asylum seekers are I've always found so inspiring um, particularly for those of us that haven't had such disruption in our lives. Um, and Muhammad's story is no different. Um, incredible story of how he had to face terrorism, uh, how he had to face intense persecution, um, some of the really scary things that happened to him and his family. Uh, and then coming to Hong Kong, um, fleeing that persecution, arriving in Hong Kong as an asylum seeker, uh, and trying to find a new life uh, and, and trying to learn what life is now like through a completely different lens to the one that he had grown up with. Um, and I'll, I'll obviously let Muhammad tell his story, but we talk about, um, you know, Egypt, his background. We talk about his Islamic faith. Uh, we talk about uh, what his job was like, what his life was like in Egypt. Uh, we talk about the Arab Spring uprising, um, the rise of the Muslim Brotherhood, um, and the pressures that began to come upon him in his place of work and how he wrestled with all of that. Uh, we talk about some of the dangerous and, and really quite traumatic things that happened to his family. Uh, we talk about his fleeing to Hong Kong with his family. Uh, and then what starting this new life was really like here. Uh, and in the midst of that, we, we learn a little bit about Muhammad's uh, journey in discovering Jesus um, and his journey of uh, coming out of an Islamic faith into a Christian faith and what that was like for him and his family. Um, and I think all of that is going to be deeply challenging, but also encouraging for each one of us. Um, and, you know, every time we invite somebody into this podcast, uh, the person is bringing some account of trauma. Uh, and Muhammad's is um, a really difficult thing for him to talk about. About. And um, yeah, you'll, you'll definitely hear some of his emotions in the midst of what we're doing uh, in this particular episode. Um, and I just want to say up front how grateful I am to Muhammad, uh, to his family for being willing to share his story with us, because I think it helps to educate those of us that haven't gone through that kind of level of disruption in our lives um, to actually um, find ourselves being more empathetic uh, to a community like this. And, and if you're listening to this and you're living in a major city anywhere in the world, there will be asylum seekers and refugees in your communities. Um, and I think we need to be much more compassionate and empathetic towards the journeys uh, and the stories of that community. And so my prayer and hope is that Muhammad's story uh, helps you to really open up your hearts to those in your communities uh, that are carrying significant stories of trauma, disruption, and yet trying to now build a new life. So without any further ado, uh, this is the story and background and narrative of Muhammad Salah. Welcome to A Broken Hallelujah, Muhammad. We are so privileged to have you with us today. Oh, thank you so much, Andrew, for the invitation. It's my pleasure to be here today. Um, we've got so much to get into today. Um, I'm so grateful that you're willing to share your story. I think it'll mean a lot to people that are listening. Um, it's a unique story, but I think it's also a story that that probably represents a lot of what refugees, asylum seekers around the world face and go through. Uh, obviously, it's unique to you, but there'll be some common threads that I think will speak to the majority of that community as we go. Um, but maybe we just start first by you telling us a little bit about kind of who you are, uh, where you're living right now, what you're doing right now, and then we'll kind of jump back into your previous story. Uh, yes, yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Mohammed. I'm from Egypt. 
Uh, I'm a husband uh, with two boys. Uh, I live here in Hong Kong now for the past six years, and currently I'm working as the education coordinator for Branches of Hope, uh, the uh, NGO that works to serve refugees. Mm, wonderful. And I think that's fantastic that, you know, as a refugee yourself, you're now uh, working for an organization that's dedicating your time and your energy and your heart uh, to helping other Assam seekers and refugees find uh, a new life and a new story for them, uh, which is really cool. Um, let's jump into a bit of your background in terms of how you became a refugee. And that's a big question, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of story there. And um, uh, you're Egyptian by background. So tell us a little bit about your life in Egypt, maybe a little bit about what growing up in Egypt was like, um, the work that you were doing there. And then we can kind of bring that into the situation that happened to, to cause such a disruption in your life. Yeah, well, actually, I, I've been born and raised in Egypt, uh, and uh, I'm graduated from a um, pharmaceutical background. So uh, I've been living quite a good life. Uh, you, you know, it's it's quite nice to, to work in the pharmaceutical or medical field in, in general, all right. over the world, basically. Yes, right. And Egypt is, is not an exception. Yeah. Uh, my life was quite well. I, I met my wife and that's another story we, we may elaborate on later. <laughs> uh, I, I always like to hear those stories, so oh, we'll, we'll yeah. come back to that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I had a very peaceful life, actually, in Egypt. Uh, I've been working and serving people who, who are in uh, medical situations. Uh, I enjoyed that life uh, till the, the start of the Arab Spring, if you remember this um, time. It was the year um, tw 2011. Maybe you could tell us a little bit more about that, because I think there'll be people listening that uh, will know Arab Spring by name, but not by content <laughs> by what actually happened. Can you tell us a little bit more? Yes, sure. Actually, uh, it was a series of um, some protests uh, in Egypt and in the whole Middle East. Uh, I think it started in Tunisia and then moved to Egypt, uh, where um, people start to, to ha be rebellious against the government and they, they want uh, the, the, our president to, to uh, step down. Uh, so it was kind of good deeds at the beginning. Then uh, actually the Muslim Brotherhood started to step over that, the whole revolution and start to take over the, the political position. And at the time... Was uh, the Muslim Brotherhood a political party? Uh, at that time they were not. I mean, they have been uh, around the Egyptian people for the past 80 years. But all the time they were kind of underground. Uh, during the revolution, they start to, to show off and, and start to, to ask for their rights, which is okay if you want to play political, up to you. That, that's not my business. But if you want to apply your um, radical thoughts on everyone in the country, that's a different story. Uh, so um, they actually start to um, form a party and start to try to rule the country and they manage even the one time the president after, after the revolution the president uh, was elected from the Muslim Brotherhood right and then for other political reasons start the military start to uh, fight against them and they went back to be underground again but at that time uh, their 
the, the, their, their extreme radical face start to, to be everywhere. Uh, a lot of terroristic attacks start to, be, to happen all over the country. Uh, the authorities start to, to try to defend that, but uh, as a peaceful family like us, it was we are on our own. The, the relation here was uh, the link between the black market of the pharmaceutical um, industry, which for many reasons was supporting the terrorism that Muslim Brotherhood and ISIS were trying to, to uh, increase or, or to work on in Egypt and the rest of the, the Middle East. But Egypt was actually the, the start of the Muslim Brotherhood formation. Uh, so I found myself as working in the pharmaceutical industry been pushed either to cooperate and this cooperation will lead to working with the drug addicts dealers to support the terrorism which is run by the Muslim Brotherhood because they have been uh, controlling the pharmaceutical syndicate at that time gotcha, and for, right. for a very long time, actually. So uh, long story short, I couldn't find other way to... Um, it, it, it's basically the ethics. I cannot deal with these people. I cannot support terrorism. Right. That, that, that doesn't mean... You, you talk about your, your Islamic uh, state up to, to you. It's not my business. But right. I will never hurt people. Uh, so uh, we start to face many threats at the time. Uh, threats turn into beaten on more than one uh, instance. Uh, I have been um, beaten by, actually in, in the street, it, it was uh, one instant that five of them been around me and start to beat me with uh, hands, with sticks, with shoes. It, it was uh, a really tough instant for myself. Uh, I, I couldn't do anything at that time even when when i've been to to the authorities they said the whole country is chaotic so it's you are on your own if you can protect yourself it's up to you if you cannot and you 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 will cooperate with them again it, you're on your own it's illegal so if you've been caught you cannot say i had to uh we tried to move within um, the country borders to another city but at the end of the day my info were there in the syndicate so it's easy to find me everywhere in the country right they can track you down wherever exactly. you are exactly yeah. yeah uh and another incident happened where i i felt really broken because this one was related to my wife um and uh it's it's really hard when when you feel that you cannot protect your your family and you, you, you may understand what, what I, I'm trying to say here, but this incident was really, it, it broke the whole family. We've been through uh, a huge trauma at the time, and um, she, she couldn't speak for months, actually. Wow. I'm so sorry. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, we, we, we tried, we tried a lot to hide, we tried to, to, uh, heal ourselves uh, and that, that one day um, 
my son was going to the school and he has been subjected to a kidnap trial uh, with a motorcycle, two people in, in Egypt, it's, it's easy to find two people riding on, or actually three people, they can ride the, the same motorcycle. So one is uh, driving and the other one tried to, to kidnap him from the street, but he just slipped and then they ran. That was just like down in the front of our house. At that time, we, we, we couldn't help it. Not, nothing we can do. We, we had to flee the country. Uh, so we, we thought of... And what was... Uh, if, if I can just jump in here. What was the time frame here? Because, you know, from when I guess you started to feel like you're on the wrong side of this syndicate, you know, you don't want to support terrorism. Um, you're standing against, you know, taking a moral stance, really, an ethical stance against that. What's the time frame between when that started to happen to when you felt like you needed to flee the country? It took over a year, actually, because the when when the the terroristic attacks started to escalate in the country, that was uh, 2013, and we by by the end of it, and we we fled the country by the end of 2014, early 2015. Uh, yeah, we, we, we had to, to leave on the spot. We couldn't um, think of anything to, to take. I mean, we, we had to leave everything behind us, uh, which is quite hard because we didn't know where to go. And most of the countries need visa to, um, like tourist visa to, to, to go to for Egyptians, except for Hong Kong. And that, that was our choice at the time. Not, not really choice, but that was our you were forced. only option. Yeah, it was yeah. your one option to go for yeah. it. Yeah. 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 So you um, got some money together, obviously, you know, packed what you could. Was it literally what you can carry you're going to leave with? Like, is that kind of what it was like? Exactly. We, we just got whatever cash we, we get. We, we had to leave our house, our cars, everything we, we left behind. I, I, I didn't have... Uh, family over there actually to um, try to communicate with them and send us money everything no that that was not the case just some cash and let's go to Hong Kong we didn't know much about Hong Kong and that was another shock to the family when we arrived here very different to Egypt <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah yeah so, I mean, so you arrive in Hong Kong you're obviously arriving on Egyptian passports, I'm assuming, um, as a tourist. I mean, that's I, that's how you come into the country, like you say. And that gives you 90 days, I, I believe it is. Um, but from day one, you realized there's no way you can go back. Um, exactly. It, it um, To come to Hong Kong, we, that doesn't require a visa, so we just get a stay of 90 days at the airport. Uh, so we, we heard that the only way we can stay... Uh, protected is to seek asylum, uh, which was our only option. I don't know el what else I can do. I cannot go back because I, I would be killed and right. and I cannot get my wife to su be subjected to, to the same situations again and my kids. Uh, and we, we start to find how can we seek asylum and to our surprise, we, we couldn't do that unless we overstay our uh, visa or, or stay like the 90 days so you can apply on day 91 which for us was quite shocking because even if we, we have some cash but you know how, how the living expenses in Hong Kong would be 
it's is it the second the third expensive country i i in the world yeah right uh, and, and it's very strange, and I think it's important for listeners to understand this. You're almost forced to do a criminal act before you can become an asylum seeker because you can't apply to be asylum seeker before the 90 days is up. So you have to overstay your visa, which effectively means you're breaking the law in order to then apply to be an asylum seeker. Is that right? Exactly. Uh, and that's one thing because that the, the on day 91, when we went to apply, the first thing we should sign on is our removal order. Because now you overstayed your visa, you, you don't have the right to stay in the country, really. But I told you in the very first day, I, I want to stay, I need protection. Uh, but we, we understand that Hong Kong is, is not uh, a signatory for the uh, 1951 Convention uh, of Refugees. So there is no such a word called refugee, basically, in Hong Kong. Uh, but there is a protection. Mm. It's what mm. they call non-refoulement claim, which just not to re- f- uh, return you forcibly to your country if they recognize that you need protection. Um, during the three months, we, we spent everything we have, basically. Uh, we were vulnerable. We, we were uh, in limbo, basically. And, and that's uh, the the problem of seeking asylum in Hong Kong uh, because no one is allowed to contribute to the society. I, I, I'm not even saying working. You, you're not even allowed to volunteer. So you have to stay three months first, spend everything you have. No one can, can help you uh, and then apply for asylum. Still, you cannot work while processing your, your asylum claim uh, but you start to receive some uh, subsidies from the government, which is way below the, the poverty line of Hong Kong itself. Uh, I, I can tell you that uh, the poverty line in Hong Kong is 4,000 Hong Kong dollars, which means the government would start to help a local person if his income is 4,000 or less. But for a asylum seeker, all what he receives is... 3,000 Hong Kong dollars to help with the accommodation, with the food, with the utilities, everything. So that's your cap. And, and that is like what? That's like 300 US dollars, maybe less. So 250 US dollars or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's um, uh, per month. So it's, it's really uh, doesn't help much, uh, which start to, to force the asylum seekers to start to find other ways to to have extra to provide yeah Uh, before we get into a little bit more about what being an asylum seeker is like in hong kong and your experience of that i want to jump back just a bit to kind of draw out kind of emotionally for you you know what what was going through your mind you know you were a successful um businessman within the pharmaceutical industry um enjoying obviously life in egypt um great family um and then suddenly within 12 months everything turns upside down. Um, you know, you had to go through, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a moral stance here. Um, I'm going to do the right thing, but that's going to come at a cost. Um, what, and then like, you know, going through all that you did in that year, jumping on the plane, coming to Hong Kong, there must have been such a contrast of emotions for you. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about like, how were you feeling during that one year in Egypt uh, when things were really 
getting very difficult for you and your family? What were some of the primary feelings you had? And then when you actually landed in Hong Kong, did those feelings suddenly change? Or did you find like, okay, maybe I'm not under threat of dying or being killed now in Hong Kong, but there's a whole bunch of other challenges that you're now facing. So was it like suddenly your your feelings and your, do you suddenly feel free and safe? Or was it suddenly like, there's a whole nother bunch of hardship that's ahead of us. What what was that whole transition like from Egypt to Hong Kong? Uh, it it's quite complicated, I would say. I mean, this twelve months was kind of nightmare for us. Every day you don't know what will happen, and if you're gonna survive for another day or not. But it's I I I, I couldn't think another way never come to my mind I will cooperate and, and be safe. That that was never come to my mind. But on the other hand, how exactly I could protect my family. Uh, thinking of, I mean, let, 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 let me go back a, a bit to, to the graduation day when, when I start to build up the dreams of being a, a successful pharmaceutical uh, or, or pharmacist, basically, and uh, I, I know I, I gonna earn a lot of money. I gonna be um, helping many people. Uh, maybe I would be a famous person. I don't know, but at least it's really great life. Yeah, and uh, marrying the, the the best woman ever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're biased, but that's a lovely thing to say. <laughs> I love her. Yeah, there right. you go. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was really, really uh, great days at the time. And I, I couldn't think that something like that would happen to me. Even when this incident start to, to happen and start to seek advice from other pharmacists, what should I do? Definitely, I'm not the only one here, right? Come on. There are many people around doing the same thing. And to, to my surprise, I found that more or less everyone is dealing with this kind of orders from uh, the, the, the drug addicts. M- maybe not everyone in, in like the, the same scale, but at least the ones who are dealing with big chains of pharmacies. Yeah, But I I cannot. I, I have to find another way. And all my life is, is not really uh, a violent life. I, I've been raised with... Actually, my father was died when I was three years old. And I've been raised by my mom, just me and my sister. So it's very quiet, very small family. We, we have nothing much, very boring, like not, not that kid. Very that, stable. <laughs> let's, let's keep life. it stable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and not, you, were, you were raised, I'm assuming, in an Islamic culture, Islamic background. Yes, yeah. We, we've been like um, moderate Muslims. My, my mom was not like a, uh, or like a very. I, how, how can I put it? Not not like a Muslim that apply everything to the family. Just yeah. some practices are around like fasting or, or yes. praying, that, yes. that kind of stuff. So I've been raised through that. Although uh, at the young age, she, she was sending me to start to, to learn how to memorize the Quran. Right. Uh, which happens a lot in, in this age, like primary school or stuff. Yes. Uh, so... To, to get through this kind of experience was really tough for, for our family. Yeah. Uh, and we, we didn't know what to do. And jumping into the plane and come to Hong Kong, 
as I mentioned, we've been to the States before, so I am quite familiar with the Western culture a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but the Asian culture is quite different. Right. Uh, and we know nothing. We, we, we have no idea what Hong Kong is looks like. Uh, and at that time, I understand that we will start to, to, to face some other obstacles, but I have no idea what, were, what would be the limits of this obstacle. Will we be able to overcome that or not? So, so yes, we, we, we felt that we will be safe, but it, it's not an easy start of a new journey. Yeah. And, and just give us a little bit of an overview on um, how your life has gone since applying for asylum. Um, it's not an easy journey. You already mentioned that, you know, in many ways you live under the poverty line um, and you're almost forced to be under the poverty line because you're reliant on the government's um, subsidy. Um, but then, of course, organizations like Branches of Hope and others um, come into the, come into picture. What was that journey like for you, discovering what this new world of being an asylum seeker is like? Um, yeah, tell us a little bit about that journey. Um, the only thing I knew about asylum seekers were back in Egypt when uh, some Syrian uh, refugees come to Egypt, actually, and they were around the, the society there, so we yeah. get to know them. Yeah. Not very close but we understand that they they faced some stuff back in Syria and now they they fled their country but in Hong Kong it's quite different because you're not allowed to do anything uh we we get to know branches of hope uh which is supporting the the refugees and asylum seekers with some uh petty cash some uh, uh food some clothes the, the basic needs that everybody could could need in the very first beginning yeah. uh and as i mentioned we're not allowed to volunteer or to work of course so the only thing we can do is to stay doing basically nothing but that was positive thing as we start to get um to the branches of hope and to learn more about this community mm. uh, branches of hope is linked to the vine church uh, so we start to understand about Divine Church and we start to understand more about fellowship and, and how uh, the community of refugees, because basically people here are very diverse. Right. I, I, I'm talking basically about the refugee community. Yes, Hong Kong people come from everywhere. I understand that. But even we, we, uh, for the refugee community here, they come from many countries. We get to know about them and I start to understand that refugees cannot be a, a group of people that you have to ignore. Right. Because that, that was the stereotype even back in Egypt. Yes. I shouldn't deal much. If, if I don't have to, it's better not to deal with these people. I have no idea about them. Yeah. But here in Hong Kong, I start to understand that these people are human beings that were very successful, even myself, like successful in their countries. And for some reason, they had to flee the, con the, the country. Uh, we, we have met a lot of people we, we made a lot of friends from the community from different countries uh, and more importantly we start to understand more about the Vine Church right. and what services uh, they are offering to refugee community and more uh, importantly we start to understand about Jesus well this is something that obviously I wanted to have a chat with you about because um, you went on a faith journey really between 
I guess, again, growing up within more of an Islamic culture and background, coming to Hong Kong, I guess, carrying that culture with you, um, and yet coming into a relationship or understanding of kind of Christianity um, that perhaps is different from what you'd ever experienced before. And then I think that then journeyed you into a relationship with Jesus. Uh, Talk us a little bit about that journey um, and what that was like for you. Um, and how you sense maybe God was involved in this even whilst you were back in Egypt. I'd love to hear that, yeah. Uh, I think Jesus uh, was with us all the time, even if we haven't realized that. Um, back in Egypt, the, the Christian population is not large, at least the, 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 announced, the official announced part they are talking about 15% of the population. And for many reasons, the most of them are Coptic uh, Christian. But for many reasons, they don't talk much about Jesus. Uh, there are a lot of persecution could happen if somebody starts to preach, or not even preach, like to, to talk. Yeah. To, to, to proselytize, to share the gospel, maybe. Exactly. Yeah. So even back in Egypt, we know nothing about Christianity at all. Uh, all what we have learned is Jesus is a prophet, as from from the Islamic perspective, he's a prophet. He, there is a God, but these people believe that th- there are three gods. Uh, so everything they are talking about, that the Bible is written and messed up, and and nothing you can believe in the Bible because it's it's not uh, a true copy. Uh, so we we believe that we never discuss. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of like a respect for Jesus, but like a distrust of Christianity. Yes. So so Christian people are deluded. Yeah, <laughs> they don't understand what they are talking about. Right, okay. right, right, right. Uh, so nothing much to to discover. Um, the 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 Coptic Christians are quite reserved in in Egypt. They don't. They are around us. I mean, my my best friend uh, is a Christian, uh, and he actually graduated one year before me. Okay, and he he went and worked in a pharmaceutical company where he met the accountant there. She was uh, a Muslim lady, uh, and all of a sudden, when I, I met him, he came to me. He said, "You know what? The accountant of my company is a very beautiful girl. I feel like." you and her can go along. Why don't you come and, and meet her? Maybe you would have something. <laughs> and this lady is now my wife. Right. <laughs> wow. So that's, that's why I feel Jesus really loves our family. He, he was always there helping us even to meet each other, to start our journey together. Uh, after one year of marriage, uh, you know, back in Egypt, it's, uh, I, I don't know about Western culture, but you, you can wait for a few years before you think of having babies. But in Egypt, you have to get the baby after nine months of marriage. Right, right. Uh, so after <laughs> one year, yeah. <laughs> so after one year, we, we haven't got anything. So we start to, to go uh, through some uh, tests, lab tests and stuff. And I discovered that because I, I was a heavy smoker. So uh, yeah, this this lot of nicotine actually affected all that the, the really? sperms yeah everything okay. is deformed wow okay um so but as i as i mentioned jesus was always there 
at that time, that was 2006, uh, the IVF that in vitro um, fertilization uh, process was start to, to take place in Egypt. Very uh, beginning of it, that, that the failure of it is very common. Right. Uh, but we've been to one doctor there. He's a Christian doctor. And one of the kind, I would say. Mm. Uh, and he said, we can do this for you guys. And, and you, you, of course, nothing is, is guaranteed. guaranteed yeah. But yes, let's, let's do it. And yeah, he, I, I got my first son. Uh, and then after four years, uh, we did it again. And I got my second son. So now I can understand that Jesus was there. Honestly speaking, I didn't. I didn't see that at the time. Right. Right. Yeah. But but now after this journey, it's it's quite different. Um, so back to to Hong Kong and uh, the idea of being a Muslim and then start to seeing the light and the truth. Um, for us, as I mentioned, it was a lot of spare time, and this spare time we took it. Uh, in a very positive way, being around divine church, attending fellowship and understand more about Jesus. And we were not um, afraid of discovering and exploring more. Right. Uh, actually, this journey, we, m- my wife and myself have been through together. Uh, I'm more of analytical thinking part and she's the emotional part of, of our family. But we, we have been attending and seeing why these people are acting this way right uh they are so kind they start to help us for no specific reason uh we actually bent to to the mosque in hong kong to to ask them for some help uh they provided help to us great Uh, but then another family christian family here in hong kong they asked us to introduce them to the mosque Mm -hmm. uh they, they, they seek asylum as well but so when we asked the, the people in the mosque to help them, they said, oh, but they are Christian. We cannot. Okay, right. So for us was another question being asked, why the Christian people in Hong Kong can help everyone, but Muslim people cannot? Then another question have been raised. Christian people in Hong Kong are helping us, but the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt were attacking us and beating us, even if we were Muslims at that time. So it's not really about belief. If if you're doing that for your religion, it means you shouldn't attack another Muslim, right? Right, right. So that these questions start to, to come up to us and with no answers, basically. I, I don't know why. Um, I start to, to ask about Jesus. I start to ask the pastors there and the, the, our friends around. I, I haven't mentioned anything to anybody. Just I want to understand why these people are so peaceful right. in, in their hearts. Yeah. Uh, we get to understand the, the, the idea of how Jesus sacrificed for everyone. This word we never heard back in Egypt. Right, okay. So Jesus... For, for for us back there in Egypt uh, was supposedly killed, but God actually just 
put another person on the cross. You 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 know how <laughs> the, the the thought. Anyway, uh, but either way, we we never heard the word sacrifice. Okay, that's interesting. So, why Jesus sacrificed himself? What is the point? These kind of questions were were start to arise in our hearts, and we start to to ask. Uh, for some answers, and then it's not about the answer. Actually, one one pastor now is is saying about our family is it was quite a miracle that these people have understand about Jesus without somebody evangelize to them. Right. Okay. Uh, but it's because for for me, what what I know is Jesus wants us. Uh, what I believe is uh, Jesus wanted to show himself to us but as our family was quite stable this family needed a huge shock and shake mm. to see the truth wow uh, so do you equate your experience of that one year in egypt where your life was turned upside down coming to hong kong not perhaps that god kind of caused that but that he used that as a way of not just changing your physical location, but changing your spiritual location, if you will. Uh, yeah, exactly. I think um, if we were back in Egypt, we wouldn't understand. So we, we needed the time and another perspective to, to see how, how things are being made. Uh, God never caused harm to people. Right. We 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 know that. Uh, but this experience is this brokenness that we have been through was important for our family to realize that life is is not about what you're doing. Life is what the Lord wants you to do. Mm. And there is a huge difference between what we want to do mm-hmm. and what his plan for us. Mm, mm, mm. Um, and comparing that to our background, uh, we we start to see the differences between the the real faith and what we have been thinking that was the right thing, and the peculiarities of the Islam and and how how things were were being made at the time. Uh, but when we start to realize. That's uh, when Jesus, at the very end of where, where we, we start to, to feel that this is our way, this is what, what we, we want to do, this is the, 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 the light of our life. Right. Uh, even if we're still in a very vulnerable situation, nothing has been changing around us. We've been living on government subsidies, we've been living on asking this and that for some some petty cash but knowing jesus and and for him to to show himself clearly to us and come to to me and my wife uh, on on while sleeping he came and he said clearly now you know the truth wow it it was it it's one night the same night come to us and and that 
for me, yeah, for her, she she she's able to 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 remember her dreams. Like like for right. me, I'm not I'm not that kind of people. So right, right. if I if I see him and remember that in the morning, that's him. That's, that's significant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's me. I'm 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 not that kind of people. But yeah. he his his power is uh, unlimited. So I I totally believe in that. Uh, and since then, that that was um, in by the end of the year 2016, mm. uh, we have uh, accepted Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, and we have been baptized uh, in Divine Church. Uh, and we we decided to to learn more. It's the the the, the idea of Jesus is our Lord. Yes, but now. We need to understand more about him. We, right. we have been right. working this uh, journey together since then. Yeah, I, I think it's wonderful to reflect on. Um, first of all, how you know, even in your context, where you came to faith after your trauma of of what happened to you in Egypt, and and but you can now look back and kind of see Jesus's presence in that process. I think that's just such a a beautiful thing. I think that would be encouraging for a lot of people listening because they're going through, and a lot of people that listen are going through their own trauma or struggle or trial um and even as christians we wonder where's god in this and i think it's such a tremendous testimony and an interesting story to say well as as people that were not even in a christian environment we were we were from an islamic cultural background but now looking back i can see how jesus's hand was in all of this and was working his good in your lives to bring you guys to a point of of understanding him as the truth um so I think that's that's super encouraging, and I also know now um, it's amazing to see how uh, I think your faith is being lived out, and you know now you're dedicating yourself to helping other asylum seekers and refugees in Hong Kong. Uh, you know you've um, you've become a refugee. You've actually gone through the process, I believe, um, and so um, the UNHCR has granted you refugee status. Um, you're um, now enabled to work in Hong Kong. Uh, is that correct? Uh, tell us a little bit about that journey and what's what's happened there for you. Uh, yeah, uh, actually, I'm one of the luckiest 240 people out of the 13,000 asylum seekers in Hong Kong that have been recognized. Uh, and by that, uh, I'm being protected here in Hong Kong. I'm I'm not uh, going to be uh, forcibly returned to my home country, uh, and I can apply for a work permit, which was uh, another blessing from branches hope that uh they offered me a job as the education coordinator yeah uh and i received the work permit and now i'm working with branches hope uh which was something um for me it's some sort of paying back to the society uh i've learned a lot from the refugees and sam seekers in hong kong i've learned a lot from the kind people in the vine church and branches of hope uh, and even if Hong Kong is not um, the, the, the perfect place for refugees, uh, but yet uh, I've been here and I, I received a lot of blessings. Uh, and that, that was my time to pay back. That was my time to serve the, the vulnerable people and to get them to learn something that's why I, I like the idea of being education coordinator yeah, right 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 uh 
just as we draw to a close, tell me a little bit about what some of your hopes and dreams are for the future, um, for your future, for you and your family, uh, but perhaps also for yeah, the future of um, the work you're doing and, and the vision you've got perhaps for um, continuing in that place of helping asylum seekers. Uh, I think my, my hope for asylum seekers and refugees in Hong Kong is to start somehow to, to live in dignity. Uh, that's one thing we, we are trying to do and I, I, I would love to, to continue what I'm doing to get them hope and dignity for, for their life and to, to get them um, more ser- self-reliance for themselves, even if the situation is not um, so easy for them. Uh, for my family, my my boys, uh, I would love to see them knowing more about Jesus. Uh, the young one is quite a preacher. Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> yeah, he, he really interests attending the church and learn about Jesus and memorize the verses. He's, his memory is super good in memorizing the Bible. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, he's, he's 11 Right. years old but wow. yeah he's he's amazing so i see him some someday he would be a pastor i would love to see that wonderful uh but for him to get to that my wife and myself need to learn more need to understand more need to to teach him more about jesus so mm, that's mm. my hope for my family mm. hey um i, I want to really thank you for being so vulnerable and open with us you know i think it's not easy to share a story like this and to uh, almost relive some of that emotion and pain of your journey um but the fact that you're willing to do that so that others who are listening can um have some empathy maybe more for asylum seekers and refugees number one but also number two maybe find some hope for their own story uh in the midst of listening to yours i just want to say thank you for that um how might people be able to reach out to you if any of our listeners would love to know a little bit more about maybe the work of branches of hope or um you know your own journey how can people kind of reach out and connect um you can also go the the website of branchesofhope.org.hk uh and you will find my contact there um and always come to the Vine Church in Hong Kong and you will see me there and I'm happy to chat with you anytime. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Mohammed, for spending this time with us, for opening up your story. Um, and we are so grateful for all that you're doing uh, in Branches of Hope and for works for asylum seekers and refugees in Hong Kong, but also around the world. So thanks so much for being with us. Thanks, Andrew, for inviting me and thanks for the time being with you. Thank you. there you have it uh, episode 12 in the bag what a story from Muhammad so grateful for him opening up that story to us and for us to get a little bit more of a glimpse into the life of an asylum seeker and refugee um, hope that's been encouraging to you uh, educational perhaps uh, for you and your particular background uh, coming up in our next episode I interview a wonderful woman by the name of Misty Prinson uh, Misty is based in New Zealand and she uh, has a story of what it was like uh, to uh, carry to full-term pregnancy a child that she knew that upon birth 
would die. So uh, that is just an incredible story of um, really wrestling with the deepest issues of the value of life, um, of uh, God and how God sees life and the value of life. Um, and you can imagine that that story contains just so many challenges and so much um, wrestling with uh, really God's heart uh, and uh, and and a family and how a family can journey through something like that. And so Misty just is beautifully vulnerable and opens up that story uh, and opens up their journey in that. And so I can't wait for you to engage and, and, and hear from her and learn from her. Uh, that's coming up in our next episode. Uh, by all means, please do get in touch with us. We, we love to get your feedback. And I love to have recommendations as well uh, for other people to interview. You might know some people in your life that have an incredible story of suffering uh, and yet hope. And you feel like the world could hear uh, that story. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can reach out to me on email at contactabrokenhallelujah at gmail.com. And I'll do my very best to uh, keep an eye on those emails and try to respond as quickly and as often as I can. Um, But uh, until then, um, I'll just be praying that each one of you uh, will continue to find God uh, in the most hard, vulnerable, and challenging moments of life. God bless everyone.